The sun was blackened. The sky was fading. The wings of the raven blocked all light, trying to reach the ground where she lay. She wore her thick grey robes, caked in mud, and other dark stains. Chains held her on her back, her eyes forced to look to the great raven as it consumed all she saw. The raven screamed with the voice of a man. It cried out in pain, in anger. It wanted her blood. It wanted her flesh. But there was another. A great beast lay chained beside her, covered in red scales, old and withered. A great dragon, brought low by the mighty raven. She watched as the raven fell upon the creature, ripped at it with its beak, drank its blood, drank it dry. She wanted to scream, for her death surely followed. But the chains bound her, and her lips were sewn shut with the thorny stem of a rose. But suddenly, another dragon appeared, smaller and sickly. But in its eyes burnt a ferocity unlike anything she had seen before. She shut her eyes in fear as it opened its mouth to spill fire onto her. But the flames did not burn. They cooled. She opened her eyes to find the chains burnt to ash, her lips freed. The raven had drained the sun killed the old dragon. Now it came for the younger beast. It came with all its might, and it screamed its name. She knew the raven would win. The bird's talons were covered in blood, dripping over the dying grass. But suddenly in her hand she felt something heavy. She looked down and saw the tooth of a dragon, the older beast. Somehow she held it in her hand, but she did not question it. She ran for the raven, leapt at its feathers and climbed up to its head, and it pecked at the younger dragon, tearing at its flesh. Grasping the tooth with both hands, she plunged into the bird's brain, twisting it and wrenching it through the skull. The bird screamed, a man's scream. Slowly, its black feathers turned white and burned into flames as they fell from the bird's frail body. It screamed and screamed. It wouldn't stop. It isn't stopping. She was awake. Another dream. Another meaningless mess of symbols and omens. Father Pega, sorry, I- You fell asleep in my sermon. Again. Eelswift sat up and looked around her. The great church hall was empty save for her and the abbot. The abandoned pews lined up politely before the great altar, upon which sat the great silver crucifix. 
Braziers around the hall gave off just enough light for Eelswift to see the disappointment in Father Pager's face. And his face was one that such looks did not grace well. His head was bald, his nose crooked and broken. His dark grey eyes stared into Eelswift's skull as she tried to gather herself. His thin skin was stretched over his bones and looked close to tearing. Fortunately, it did not. In one hand he held his crook, a long shepherd's pole of dark wood hooking round at the top. His hands gripped tightly round his staff as he chastised Eelswift. My child, it is very hard for me to oversee your conversion if you insist on sleeping through every single one of my messages. Of course, she thought to herself. My conversion. There was the reason for his anger. As it always was, the abbot was frustrated that Eelswift, a pagan, also happened to be one of the nuns of St. Alban's Church. He tried to convert her after her arrival three years ago, but to no avail. She was a Briton, a true Briton, one of the very few who still survived in Saxon lands. Her gods were old, and her people had never given them up. From his black robes, he extended his arms and placed them on hers. You must understand that these sermons are for you, child. All of it is for you. So you might be saved from your sin. Of course, Your Grace. I wouldn't have dreamt of missing your sermon. It's just last night I was so fascinated by John's epistles that I failed to lay my head down for sleep. I fear my eagerness has... Oh, for all our sakes, be quiet. We both know you're lying. As Pega pulled away, Eelswift straightened out the creases of her grey woolen robes before allowing herself a wry smile. Well, you've got to admit, it does sound convincing. Pega was exhausted of her games. It was clear from the sullen look in his eyes. But true to his character, his lips remained wide in a smile that did not deserve to sit on that face. Oh, how you love to test me, Eelswith. I wonder how you will fare when it is God who is testing you. Why would he test me? He tests everyone, my dear. Even you? Every day, child. What did you do? The abbot looked at her quizzically. I haven't done anything. Then why is God testing That's you? not the point. He tests everyone the same. He tests their faith. So he doesn't believe you are faithful to him? His eyes grew darker, hiding a storm. God knows everything, child. He knows how strong my faith is. But if he's testing you, then your faith can't be that strong. It was too much fun winding the abbot up, though sometimes he came dangerously close to breaking. She wondered what would happen that day. And what of your false gods, Eelswith? Do they not test your faith? Why would the gods test me? They know whether or not I believe that they exist. 
Is your God so desperate for attention that he demands everyone acknowledges him? Father Pega stood and began walking away, before turning back and pointing his bony finger at her. The Lord God needs all good men to serve him, so that he might bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth. Eelswift scoffed. Northumbria, Mercia, and East Anglia have all fallen to the Danes. You think God is protecting you so he can build this kingdom? He's letting you be cut down like animals. My dear child, you must understand. God is all knowing. I know you believe that you can keep your secrets from me, but not from God. You think you are strong, God is stronger. You think you are wise, God is wiser. He could smite the pagan with a single thought. And if you want to know why he hasn't done already, God doesn't serve us, child. We serve him. He will decide when we deserve saving. For a moment, Eelswift wasn't sure what to say. She could see the anger in Father Pega. He wanted to hurt her, and she knew it. Then you best pray he chooses to spare you. He paused and waited for the fury to seep away from his eyes before replying. I do, every day. Come, there is something I must show you. Without waiting, the abbot smacked his crook on the cold stone floor as he turned and walked quickly towards the altar. Sighing, Eelswift rose from her seat and followed him. He did not speak. He simply walked on past the altar to the room beneath the bell tower. That room was normally off-limits to all. Heavy curtains obscured the way. But Father Pega ushered her inside. The space was bare, save for a bookcase against the far wall, a confessional box beside it and a worn patch of rushes that covered little of the stone floor. One torch burned on the walls, not offering up much light. Above them reached the mighty tower where the bells slept. There was an old ladder, climbing the walls that led to scaffolding built into the tower's walls. It created a wooden spiral staircase that reached up to the very top of the tower, where the bells were kept. They were shrouded in darkness. Eelswift could not see far into the rafters, but she heard the distinct sounds of wings flapping and birds fighting amongst themselves. When her eyes returned to earth, she saw the abbot had gone to his knees and was reaching behind the bookcase. After a moment of scrabbling in the dark, he found what he was looking for and pulled it out. It was a book. An old book, covered in Roman letters and symbols that Eelswift did not understand. Pega opened the tome and began searching through it, looking for a specific page. At last he found it. Tucked away in the book had been a little key. Returning the book to its hiding place, Pega stood and looked to Eelswift. Remove the rushes. You brought me in here to clean the rushes? Sighing once again, 
Eelswift bent to grab the mat of reeds and rushes used to cover the floor and pulled it toward the curtains. As she moved it, she saw what it had been hiding beneath. A trap door? An entrance to the cellar? No. Kneeling down once more, the abbot fit the key into a small hole and unlocked the hatch. Grabbing onto a metal handle, he pulled the door up, leaving it open. Beneath it was a stairwell, spiralling down into darkness. Eelswift looked nervously over the parapet. She didn't know what kind of demons could have made their home in such a place. Beside her, Father Pega removed the torch from its bracket and stood onto the first step. Follow me, child. How do you know what's down there? There could be- This is not some heathen pit of hell. This is hallowed ground. You are perfectly safe. Not entirely convinced. She followed him down the steps, the torch throwing light onto the stone walls, bouncing all around them, making the shadows dance. The sound of his crook hitting the stones reverberated around the close walls, flowing down into the darkness. After around thirty steps, they came into a chamber, not a large room, but big enough for the torch to struggle to fill. It was cold, and the air smelt of damp. Father Pager walked on and placed the torch in a rusty sconce on the wall. In the centre of the room was a large stone box, big enough for a whole body. Is this a grave? Through the dim light... Eelswift caught Pega's thin smile. Of our saint, Alban. Alban? But you said the body and the relics were destroyed in a fire, years ago. That wasn't true. We tell visitors that so no one tries to steal them from us. But they are still here. And very, very powerful. There was a desire in his voice. A seduction. What power? Father Pager laughed with glee. <laughs> the power to destroy the pagan invaders. Surely you don't believe that. Though she spoke with as much confidence as she could, Eelswift began to doubt herself. Oh, I am sure. The abbot beckoned Eelswift forward, and she humoured him. Now she saw the great stone coffin was hiding a skeleton in plain sight. In its hands it clutched a sword, a very old sword. It was of a design she did not know, and the blade had rusted away to a shadow of its former self. Reaching inside, Pega clutched the sword away from the dead saint's hands. The sword of the Romans can grant the power to slaughter every last one of the devil's hordes who now infect our shores. It has so far kept us safe from harm. Or you've just been lucky enough to have gone unnoticed by the dates. He ignored her and carried on. One must know how to use this blade properly. With the right knowledge, with the right blood. This sword will be the answer to our prayers. Eelswift was confused. Usually she suffered Pager's enthusiasm for his god. 
and instead chose to wind him up. But something was different this time. The right blood. A haunted look possessed his face, but he hastily banished it. Sometimes, for the good of Christendom, blood must be shed, and sacrifices must be made. This is wrong. The one thought kept swimming around her head. It all felt wrong. Pega was changing before her. He had never spoken like this. He had often rambled on about blood and sacrifice, but never like this. Her thoughts were interrupted by Pega's sudden change of pace. Come, we will leave this place. I have shown you enough. I hope now you will see God's power, see that you are not his equal. As he spoke, he returned the sword in the crypt and strode towards Eelswift with the torch in his hand. Grabbing her arm, he guided her up the steps and back below the bell tower. With a shove, he pushed Eelswift through the curtains, as if hurriedly trying to hide himself from her. I shall see you tomorrow morning at your prayers, child. With that, he returned behind the curtains to say no more. Eelswift turned and walked as fast as she could towards the church door and away from the abbot. But she was not afraid anymore. Not now she had seen the relic Pega coveted. Time to take that miserable bastard down a peg or two. She knew in the morning she may be a suspect. She knew she might be pushing her luck. But the thought of Father Pega's distressed face was too good to pass up. Tonight, she would steal the sword of St. Alban. You have been listening to Sword of a Saint, The Shadow in the Light, starring Deborah Knight, Kieran Connors, and Joash Kari. The story was written by Kari Originals, and the music by Joash Kari Music. Next time on Sword of a Saint. If God is good, he shall lay all the blame on you for corrupting his child. I hope you rot in the hell you so frequently lecture me on, you pious- ENOUGH! I swear by all you hold dear, I swear on everything you love or have ever loved, all you have ever known, that if you do not give me the sword, your life will be a curse!